welcome to episode three of the Ghost in the Stacks podcast, the show where I review and recommend horror books and spooky stories. If you're looking for some new creepy books to add to your reading list, then you've come to the right place. Today, I'll be talking about the second Adam Neville book I've read, a book called The Reddening, which features some folk horror with a touch of cosmic horror wrapped up in a good old-fashioned cult story. The second book I'll be talking about has a much lighter story in regards to its tone. It's called Arsenic and Adobo by Maya P. Manansala. It's a cute murder mystery centered around a Filipino family and their struggling restaurant. The book is fun and light, but still has a strong sense of tension and danger. So without any further delay, here's my review of The Reddening by Adam Neville. Generational cults, secret drug ring conspiracies, ritualistic sacrifices, and ancient hellhounds. This book has a little bit of everything. The Reddening by Adam Neville explores prehistoric horrors that may not have been left behind in history. This is the second book by Adam Neville that I've read, and I've really liked both of them. His books are a little dense and kind of long, but the writing style is very cinematic, so it's very easy to breeze through, and all of the time spent laying down groundwork usually comes back around for a satisfying payoff. The Reddening takes place in a coastal and rural area of England, and the area seems to be divided by locals who live in town, farmers who live out in the country, and the extremely wealthy who use a section of the coast to dock their yachts. The area is also used by tourists and locals for recreation. There's camping, hiking, and even hang gliding, and hang gliding is what kicks the main premise of this story into action. A man local to the area, who's an avid hang glider, notices a new fissure in a cliffside he's never seen before while he's flying over the coast. And he decides to go check it out, assuming that there was some tectonic activity that opened up this new fissure, this new cave that he saw from the sky, and what he ends up discovering turns the archaeology and history world on its head. The cave becomes a massive dig site, as human remains and relics that date back way further than humans were previously thought to inhabit the area. And among the human remains and relics, there seems to be a sacrificial area discovered, as well as a ritualistic burial ground. After closer inspection, it's revealed that the human bones they discovered have teeth marks on them that were made by human teeth. And that's all I'll say about what was discovered inside of the cave, so I don't give too much away about the story. While the past is being dug up, revealing an ancient history of human sacrifice, ritualistic burials, and even cannibalism, in the present, people have started to go missing in the area in which the cave was discovered. This is happening with the backdrop of rumors circulating of illegal drug fields being hidden somewhere in the farmlands, as well as rumors spreading of mythical red folk being spotted. A large area of land where the caves and quarries are located are actually owned by an old rock star from the 70s named Tony Willows. He's since become a recluse at this point in the story, but back in the day when he first bought the land, he used to throw wild parties, and a woman even died at one, causing a lot of controversy. He doesn't really venture into town, and he's not really seen that much, but his band, when they go into the history of him in the book, his band is called Witchfinder Apprentice, and I was getting a lot of Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath vibes as they talked about the history of the band and what it had to do with the area, and it really made me think of the whole Satanic Panic era taken to its most logical extreme if it was actually true. 
I won't go into too much more detail about this, but there are definitely hints of there being some kind of cult, and I think that's where some of the horror shines through in this book, is it really does a good job of making you unsure of who to actually trust in the story, especially when some of the ties run so deep and feel so ancient. That's a lot of background info on just some of the plot. There's a lot more I don't want to get into just so I don't spoil anything. Like I said, it's a very dense book, and we haven't even gotten to our main protagonists yet. Once everything gets set up, the book starts to fall into alternating chapters between our two main protagonists. Kat, who was previously a highly respected journalist in London, but she had some kind of burnout and some relationship problems and decided to move out to the countryside to slow down. And Helen, a single mother who is visiting the area investigating the disappearance of her brother. Her brother is one of the people who disappeared in the area over the past couple years. I think Kat and Helen are both great characters. At no point did it ever feel like they fell into the damsel in distress trope that a lot of women characters in horror fall into. I mean, they both get into their fair share of intense and horrible situations, but the way they both rise to the occasion and overcome it is extremely satisfying, and it's super interesting how the intense trauma affects them both differently throughout the main story. One of the minor complaints I had about this book is that it does feel like it takes a little while to really get going. It does start with some spooky action and sets up the mystery, but we didn't even meet our two protagonists for a little while and it made me feel like I didn't have anyone or anything to latch onto. But once we finally got our bearings and got used to the world, I really couldn't put the book down and that's really saying a lot because again, it's pretty dense and a pretty long read, but I just wanted to keep reading to find out what was going on. There's some supernatural elements in the story, and a lot of it is left to interpretation, but I think a lot of the horror and scary elements of the book come from the people and the town surrounding our main characters. It's pretty horrifying to think that you're the only one not involved with some group or some cult and just everybody is out to get you. There are also some scenes of pretty graphic violence, but I don't think it's gratuitous or just thrown in there for no reason. It really does suit the situation, and it really fits the story well. Overall, The Reddening by Adam Neville was a great read. I would definitely recommend it if you're looking to dive into something pretty deep. But if you're in the market for something a little more casual, add this to your list of books to read and then come back when you're ready to commit some time and attention to it. The harsh world of cults, drug rings, and ancient mysteries of The Reddening will be waiting for you. Even though it took me a while to get into it, I did end up really enjoying The Reddening. If you're not sure about if you'd like the folk horror styles of Adam Neville, I might recommend trying to read his book Last Days as a good entry point. It's also pretty long, but I feel like it pulls you into the world a lot faster. Now on to the next book, Arsenic and Adobo. This book is a little different than what I normally read. It's a lot lighter in tone and has much less dread, but the story features a Filipino family and a mainly Asian and people of color cast of characters, and I really resonated with that. I'm a second generation Filipino-American, so a lot of the family dynamics, and especially the foods that were talked about at length, were very familiar to me. Anyways, let's just get into my review of Arsenic and Adobo by Maya P. Manansala.
A murder mystery centered around a Filipino family and their restaurant with some romantic comedy elements sprinkled in for fun. Don't read this book if you're hungry because there is no shortage of detailed food descriptions. Arsenic and Adobo by Maya P. Manansala is the first book in a series called A Tito Rosie's Kitchen Mystery. The book follows Leela, who has just moved back to her small hometown from Chicago after going through a pretty rough breakup. She lives with her Tito Rosie, who owns a Filipino restaurant, and Leela has been charged with trying to get the struggling restaurant back on its feet. There is also a group of Filipino titas called the Calendar Crew, who I really love, and she also lives with her Lola or grandmother. The book is a murder mystery and it wastes no time kicking the murder and mystery into gear. By the time we start the story, Leela has already been in town for a few months and she's working another day in her Tito Rosie's restaurant. When a food critic who has been writing some pretty negative reviews about their food comes in again to try something else on the menu. Now this would already be bad enough, but it turns out this food critic happens to be Leela's high school sweetheart and her first time love. They have a little bit of a back and forth that turns into a minor confrontation, but Leela ends up serving him anyways because he is a customer after all. Shortly after he finishes his meal, he begins to cough and he falls down onto the floor, apparently dead. An ambulance is called and he's taken off to the hospital and then shortly after that, the police show up. After all is said and done, Leela turns out to be the prime suspect in what is apparently a murder. The restaurant is closed down for investigation, and without any other choice, Leela now has to set out to find who the true murderer is so they can reopen the restaurant before her and her family lose pretty much everything. This is when the main conflict of the story truly takes off, and I won't talk too much more about the plot because it is a mystery and I don't want to accidentally give anything away. The writing style of the book is light, fun, and easy to read. It truly is a cozy murder mystery. All of the characters are extremely well written, and there are some genuinely funny moments and interactions between them that I really liked. I grew up with several Filipino titas who weren't actually related by blood, but because we spent so much time together, we were pretty much as close as a family could be. I knew every time the auntie showed up, I was in for a fun but slightly stressful scene. It really reminded me of being a kid and being in the other room but hearing my mom and aunts in the kitchen all talking loudly in Tagalog and hearing them name drop me or one of my cousins followed by roaring laughter and just really not knowing what kind of trash talk was going on over there. At one point, the titas point out that Leela has gained a little bit of weight and I really felt that in my soul because I've been hearing that kind of talk from a lot of Asian family members throughout my entire life. The story lets this vibe shine through because the titas want to be helpful, and they do help, but they do it in a way that kind of says, well, we know better than you, and it absolutely drives Leela crazy at times. And then during the more romantic comedy sections of the book, Leela finds herself in a sort of love triangle between herself and two other Asian men, one who is a lawyer and the other is a dentist, and this is absolute catnip for Asian aunties, and it plays out hilariously in the book. The murder mystery itself was very well written, the stakes felt very high, and I could feel time running out as the police were building a case against Leela and her family. And I was suspicious of several characters along the way, but I was still pleasantly surprised at the end when I found out who had actually done it. 
The book does a great job of seeding doubt and suspicion very slowly and then throwing a curveball at you, forcing you to rethink all of your theories about what could have actually happened. And food is tremendously important throughout this entire book, not only because Leela and her family own a Filipino restaurant, but because food is very important in Filipino culture. Tita Rosie's need to feed all of the people around her despite actively being under investigation for murder just felt too real. Growing up, I couldn't even have friends over for a couple hours after school to play some video games without my mom making a full meal of rice, pancit, or even chicken adobo. And I could tell that the author was intimately familiar with all of these dishes and it was a huge part of their life growing up. And I didn't even notice until I finished the book, but in the back there are actually a couple of recipes that I'm definitely going to try making because the way they're described in the book just sounds so good and it just conjured up memories of growing up and eating all of these meals all the time. Overall, I thought Arsenic and Adobo was a really fun read. I really liked the story and the murder mystery, but what really sold me was the well-written characters and all of the drama they bring to the table. I'll definitely be picking up the other book in the Atito Rosie's Kitchen Mystery series, and I really recommend you pick this up if you're looking for a cozy murder mystery with some romantic comedy vibes and you don't mind being a little bit hungry through the entire read. Alright, that's a wrap on episode 3 of the Ghost in the Stacks podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope one of these books sounded interesting enough to make it onto your reading list. If you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a review or rating, and if you're feeling extra spicy, you could even share it. Thank you again, and hopefully we'll see you for the next episode of the Ghost in the Stacks podcast.